Hi, here's Florian with a new podcast guest. So I would say introduce yourself. Yeah. Uh, hi, Florian. Thanks for having me here today. I'm Lars Gierer and I'm currently the head of financing, so global head of financing and incubation for mobile.de or better to say the eBay Classifieds Group. Cool. So how did you get this job? What's the story behind it? <laughs> so it's it's a longer story uh, and it's it's also a strange job title, isn't it? So at least for me it is. So basically basically I got in this position um, yeah, through various roles that I had in, in mobile.de. Um, so basically back then, like, like six and a half years ago now, I started at mobile.de um, as the product manager being responsible for, for mobile. Uh, and um, I was basically, it was still the phase where mobile was something new for lots of companies. Yeah. And I've been doing the, the mobile product management for Immobilien Scout before. And then I went to mobile.de. Um, it's also classified business, but uh, another area, not real estate, but cars. And, and there then I progressed from one job to the next, so to say. And um, after a certain time, I then was responsible for the product management of, of everything that you could see to the outside, yeah. um, which one would refer to now, I think, as consumer. Um, and then, then basically, basically, I changed to the business side um, after that okay. uh, because... I learned that at least, at least within the role that I was in there, yeah, and product management is slightly differently defined in all companies, but um, I learned that there are boundaries of what, what I could be doing. Yeah? So basically, yeah. basically, I was at the point where I wanted to, to dig deeper into, into sales, into operations, into marketing, and how all those things really work. And this is where I kind of felt the boundaries of, of being just a product manager and switched over to a business role. And my first business role was then to build up um, a new business for Mobile.de um, that went pretty successful. Then I went on to the second one that also went pretty successful. And yeah, this is how I got there. So what for a new business you build up for them? Um, so the first one was um, honestly um, yeah, a defensive play against uh, Wir kaufen ein Auto or okay. Auto One, uh, which was basically the question back then for us was, okay, um, there is this, um, this strong player now coming and it's growing pretty aggressively and quickly. And what does this do to our classifieds business? Right, and um, do we need to act on that? And then, um, if yes, um, how, how should we act on that? Right, yeah. should we um, should we build up a different business model than what they do? Um, is it just possible in the exactly same business model? Should you buy someone? Should you partner someone? Yeah. Should you build it on your own? And uh, those were um, all the questions that needed to be answered in the beginning. And we found out pretty quickly then that, um, that basically all the other business models that existed in the market 
um, could never achieve the same traction as the Vikovnan Auto model. Most of them were auction-based models and they had a few flaws in the business model itself because the, the service design, especially in the end of the business model, yeah. was a little bit problematic because in those auctions, it sounds really cool, right? You, you're putting your car online, yeah. then... Um, The, the models were, um, ich will mein Auto loswerden, easy auto sale and car sale 24. Yeah. Right? And the, the issue there with the business model was that, that in the end you had a service experience. You, you, you put your car online, you then get bits from a lot of car dealers. Yeah. Yeah? Um, you, of course, needed to describe your car as good as possible. Yeah. But then it took a few days until all the bits came in. Then the car dealer still needed to pick up your car and it was Germany, right? So yeah. sometimes it took a little bit of time. And then what often happened, what we realized when we tested that together with a partner, um, was that the car dealers were then finding stuff that was, was not okay with the car, yeah. lowering the prices again. Yeah? Yeah. But after waiting then for, for like seven, seven days, even two weeks sometimes, this was a really painful process for people yeah so service ratings for this model were poor and it yeah. was harder also to attract model and um, people into that than with the vehicle of an auto business model yeah, yeah. which is uh, which was back at the time when they when they started that really something something that a few car dealers did but on a much smaller scale yeah right so really really genius what they built up there and um, um, yeah right and we we then Uh, build up a defensive play against Wehrkaufen and Auto back then. So Wehrkaufen and Auto was just buying the cars directly from the consumers and so they didn't have the hassle to, to find the right partner, right? Yes, so the business model is a little bit like um, what I would call a C2B2B business model okay. because what they do is they actually buy the cars, put them on their balance sheet, but then they resell them through different channels to other car dealers. Ah, okay. Right? So they're the middleman, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's less hassle for, for car dealers to get the right portfolio back into their stock, so to say. So how did you approach the defensive strategies? Uh, because there was already a play on the market and uh, Mobile had some traffic already, they had some users already. So how did you start about that? So, um, and now, now comes the area where you need to think what I'm allowed to tell you and what I'm not allowed to tell you, right? So, um, so let, me, let me think about how I can answer the question um, best. So, so basically, basically, first, what I believe you, you need to do is to find out, okay, why are customers, um, in, in this case, it, it was a little bit easier than if you start on a blank page, right? Because yeah. you knew, okay, you have an interest of customers there because someone else is growing. Yeah. Although like the, um, the user ratings of Wehrkaufen and Auto were very mixed. Okay. Yeah? So it was not, not like the NPS, Net Promoter Score, Customer Satisfaction Killer model. Yeah. Yeah? But, um, but still there was enough um, proof that there is something there yeah? and they found product market fit. Um, so, so basically that was off the table, right? And so, so you still needed to find out as, as 
the player coming in, okay, why are people attracted by that model and what are the specific things um, that attract them and what do you need to copy out of that, yeah. so to say. Yeah? And then if you found out, okay, what are the elements that are really attractive to, to this player, next you need to then to think about in, in the specific case we've been in, what are the assets that we have at hand as the um, already big brand in the market Correct, yeah? Yeah. and that you can leverage to have an unfair advantage. Yeah. Right? And those things are, are, are things that you can then, then need to mix together um, to build something that has a chance to succeed. Yeah? Yeah. And this is, this is then following a lot of the, the rules that you find in, in how you execute that that you have also, also when you're building up a startup, right? You still need to, you still need to build your um, MVP. You still need to do customer development properly. You still need to work very metrics-driven and, and data-driven to, to do the right things and make the right decisions, yeah? um, and to understand, okay, in which areas are things that you need to optimize and... Um, or should optimize because especially in the beginning um, you have too many possibilities and not enough time yeah? so yeah. Th this is only changing later stage um, that it's turning around the other way so how do you choose the first right uh, possibility like you have some advantages probably you have easier access to users you have already a branding and so on so you don't need to think about that um, how do you choose then the first correct testing ways or the correct things to test so so basically it, it depends a lot on so so the approach that i like most in the very beginning yeah is that you really think about your major risks that you have in the business model yeah, yeah? so basically basically how my uh, or how our backlog in the very beginning looks like is just um, a list of risks prioritized by the highest risk and highest risk meaning really okay if this goes wrong the whole business model won't work yeah? and this this then really involves everything from um, from legal stuff to um, customer satisfaction things and um, th th this can really be everything right so marketing costs customer acquisition costs can be can be one thing or um, or regulatory aspects, um, then um, it can be everything, yeah, if that makes sense. So this is in the very beginning um, how how I like to prioritize. Yeah. Because it's 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 really about that. Because because no business failed because you didn't have this one great idea. In reality, every business that I've seen and every founder that I've spoken so far to is saying, okay, it's always not this one big thing. People believe that, right? Yeah. That you have this one big idea um, and then, then basically, basically this is it and then you just need to execute that. But it's like a thousand different little pieces that need to fit together and you just should avoid to fall into the largest traps and risks in the beginning. So you need to de-risk a lot. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's maybe not that romantic, right? Yeah. So, um, but uh, 
But this is this is to me what I found to be the the most reasonable approach to to tackle things yeah. then, and to to really bring things live quickly. So so this first business, for example, so from um, from start of the project to having life a fully functioning um, functioning business uh, took us just three months with this approach. Oh, that's quite quick, especially for a business which is already quite quite yeah, big no, and established. We, we, we took a lot of hacks there to, to, to do that, basically. What, what is, would you say were the three main hacks or which the three things which made it work? Because I could so imagine... You mean that we were quick? Yeah, yeah. We to, make, to make it quick, yeah. Because I can imagine if Allianz wants to launch something in three months. in the beginning, right? So this is not <laughs> a topic, so it wasn't at all. So, so the first two weeks was just... Like always, when you're starting something new, it was it wasn't working at all, right? I was just sitting there, um, checking my stats every five minutes because um, I had then the dashboard that I built myself back then. So, so you built the fast the prototype first, and fast kind yeah, so, of. So how we achieved that? That yeah. was your question. Sorry, um, but but it, but it didn't work business-wise in the beginning, of course. Um, so how how we achieved that is. Um, so I, I thought a lot about, okay, why are things moving slower for us yeah, than yeah. for others? Yeah. You know? And this is, um, this is mostly what I, what I truly believe in is um, the focus of, of people and how costly it is to switch contexts. Yeah? Yeah. And what has been tried in the past is that you, that you tell people, all right, Someone who is really good in the company, yeah, mostly those people that get those projects, um, they have to work 20% on that special project, right? Yeah. And then they have four other projects yeah. like that, which leaves them 20% like for each. Maximum 5% yeah. of time to think yeah. about that, maybe. So let's say a few hours a week. Uh, and this is, this is roughly what you need to, to align. But That, that said, so I've seen that this, this model is not working. So I, I chose an approach that was like really counterintuitive to, to most people from the, the agile world yeah. because I said, all right, I, I want to build everything straight from the beginning uh, or especially in the beginning with, um, uh, with companies that don't work in, uh, with people that don't work in mobility. Yeah? Okay. And um, and I was looking then for agencies with the right mindset yeah, yeah. To, to still work like I want to work. Yeah. And this is something um, I, I connected then in the beginning to people in my network um, that I knew, okay, they were on the way to build up something like that yeah. and, and try to, to find those people um, and always saying, okay... Um, Because what you have in a, in a corporate is, is budget, yeah. what you don't have is, um, is people, right? So, so people this with is, the right mindset, you mean, yeah? Probably. Not, not even that, even the people with the right mindset. But, but if you then get something, you won't get um, like 100% of someone, but those 20% yeah, that don't pay that much. Yeah, because they always have reliables and other exactly. projects, yeah. And it's more painful for the company as well to yeah. give you 20% of that guy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's less painful to give you money to build that with someone yeah. else. Right? Yeah. So, and this is, this is, of course, a setup that can't hold long. 
Yeah, but it it works perfectly to build up stuff quickly. Yeah, and yeah. we had we had I was also then then lucky. Otherwise, it would not have been possible to build it up in in in, in three months from the ground. And also, what what we did before, of course, is all this before we then started really actually. Uh, this is this is more more the way how we operationalized and then really executed uh, on the plan that we had. But what we did is we. In the very beginning, we started a very quick um, process to to learn all the things that we needed to learn and to de to de-risk the business model. Yeah, so this took us around four to six weeks. Then we were clear enough how the business model could look like, and then basically we iterated on that still while development was taking place. Yeah, but we knew enough to kick things off. Was then the first four to six weeks more development-wise that you said, okay, we want to test certain user behaviors, or was it more regulatory, just interviews, really? So interviews with the users and ask them certain things. It was interviews with the users and um, and and smoke tests and tests with partners uh, with yeah. existing business yeah. models. Yeah. This is what we did first. Yeah, this is this is also an advantage um, that you should not underestimate if you're working in an existing company. Your access to potential partners yeah. is super easy. Right? Yeah. So um, and and of course this this can be a big benefit to each partner. So I like I hear the theory that like it makes sense to take the business model canvas just as a risk a risk profile and then go from there. Or did you just did you use that or did you just just have brainstormed some some. Facts on a, I like on the a business list model canvas. And then prioritize them and then go from there? Or how did you track that and like take like take the action list? I, I like the business model canvas a lot. Yeah. Right? So I think it's it's an excellent tool. Um, after some time of usage it gets a little bit useless because yeah. you um, you then understand, okay, what are the inner workings that yeah. you need to cover? Yeah. yeah. And then, then you don't need the canvas anymore. Yeah. Right. But still it's a, a very good structured way to think about businesses yeah. in my yeah. opinion. And yeah, this is, this is a helpful tool to come up with risks, but this is, this is more like, um, the, the, the risk that I see with all those tools that are developed in the, in the lean startup slash design thinking yeah. space, yeah, is um, not so much in what I did back then, yeah. But if you look at other models, is that this is very much inwards looking, right? Yeah. It's looking very much of okay, how does your business model function, yeah, and how what should you do to um, build up something that customers need. Yeah. yeah, and you, you kind of have those two aspects. And I'm not saying that this is unimportant, it's super important, but sometimes I have the, pe the feeling that this is um, too tempting for a lot of people to then forget about the rest that people have done, like uh, in the last century, so to say, and the economical methods that have been developed back then, because lots of them are still very useful and it still makes sense to look at market sizes and it still yeah. makes sense to look at, okay, um, what part of the market can you really attract? Yeah. And it's sometimes so, um, I have the feeling that lots of people think, okay, this is not valid anymore, but, but it is very much, yeah. Um, so, so I, I like 
the combination of those two yeah. things a lot actually right so it's not that the things back then were bad it's just like now with all the methodologies that we have especially in online businesses yeah but also in um in more like classical industries uh, with um it's the same with um that you can iterate much faster yeah for us it's clear in technology businesses because basically now you can push live things every second uh, yeah. if you want to yeah um and you can bring changes live so quickly but also for like um Uh, production industries with 3D printers, your, your prototyping speed evolved a lot. So yeah. basically your testing cycles can be much shorter. Um, and, and this is basically, to me, the core thing. So of this whole, of this whole new approach, right? So, so you have shorter iteration cycles for everything. So it makes much more sense to just throw your ideas out and see if it sticks, yeah. right? Instead of hypothesizing too long about that yeah, yeah? so in th this is this is kind of the thing but in in other areas yeah it, it might not make sense at all to take that approach but really taking a more planning and careful approach where you don't can't achieve those really short uh, short cycles, short cycles. Yeah? So research for example is probably a It always makes sense in my opinion. No, like, like because, I mean, because like, otherwise you don't understand. Yeah. No, I mean like scientific research is a bit more difficult to to test things fast because it's Depends more. Depends on the area, most likely. Right? Yeah. Okay, you're right. So probably medicine, for example, <laughs> it's kind of hard to like make rapid testing there. Yeah. Also depends on the area, most likely, and what you are tackling, and. Um, And, and if you want to make a business out of that and you need to jump through all the regulatory hurdles, I think that's tough. But, but, but there you need careful planning, yes. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, that, you're completely right with your example. So that, that could be one of the areas where more careful planning is better than, um, than just throwing ideas out. Right? And then you use the user interviews and uh, like your, your, like your, your, um, lowering from risk on the beginning, like to just clear the picture, to make some things clear, get it out of the way, and then some things stick there. And then you could say, okay, on that we're starting to develop and like test them through prototypes, something probably, yes, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and one of the important things um, that I always like to stress is that when you're working for a company, um, And, and I also stressed that in the, uh, in the talk that I gave where we met um, is, is that, that basically you also need to find something that I call product company fit yeah? Yeah. because a business model that doesn't fit to what your company wants won't help you at all yeah? Yeah. because you will lose your only um, funding um, opportunity yeah. Yeah? so this is this won't bring you anywhere then so so this is this is something that makes your life of course um, a lot more difficult yeah but at the same time you you're getting many assets usually in return yeah if the company really uh, really is after it yeah and really wants you to succeed um, so this is kind of a fair exchange I would say right you're getting access to, to assets that usually it's really hard to get access to yeah. you really need to build 
strong business relationships for that. And you get that for free, which is brilliant. Um, but of course, the price is that some of the business models that you could be playing, you're not allowed to play. Yeah. I'm wondering right now, how hard was it for you to get this budget for the external people? Like, it's a cool idea, it's a cool concept, but I'm wondering if you go, like, if you would go as a PO and say, that, hey, I have a good idea, I think we should do that, give me, give me budget for people for for six months and I will prove that it works and I need only, just not only one, I need a team out of probably designers and some developers and was it hard or was there enough trust that they said, yeah, sure, go for it? So, um, actually it was not that hard. Um, I, I needed to do a few things for that, but I, I think what you refer to with the trust is really important, yeah. right? Um, so, so first of all, I, I didn't say I need a team to, to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. So I was very, very um, careful about what do I need and what don't I need. Right? Yeah. And I really could explain, okay, I need this for that. I need this for that. I need this for that. Right? So, um, of course, this is most likely bullshit after two months and everyone knows that and you need to explain that all the time. This is, this is what I did. yeah, Because... Because it's like um, I, I was, and I was not in a product management role when I when I started that, right? So this is also I was in a business role. Okay. Right? So and my purpose was to build up this defensive place. So it was not my idea, yeah. right? Which makes it also easier. Okay, so it was your your yeah. So and basically, the company, yeah. basically the expectation that the company had was more like. All right, now we have this guy, he's looking at it, and how it all went in the past always is like now six months someone is looking at the market and making funky slides. Yeah, exactly. And then basically you get a big funding, and then most likely after two years you realize, okay, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah this was, and it was more like the, the difficult part was more like, okay, this is not how we're gonna roll this time. We do it slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. And getting the buy-in for that. And there was much doubt that, that you can succeed with that. But, but actually, the, the money that I needed was, was tiny compared to what people usually ask oh, for. Yeah. It, right? Yeah. So, so that's why they wanted to give me much more money. And I told them, no, no, wait. I, I don't need that. It doesn't make sense. Because <laughs> throwing 50 people at something that, that five people should be working on max. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a good idea. It, it wasn't 50 people. I would not have gotten that much money. Yeah? But um, just just making it a little bit more extreme to, to make my point here so it's more people don't help you in the beginning yeah right yeah so this is this is this is I think the important you need to really understand crystal clear what what know-how um, and specialties you really need to win yeah? this is uh, this is something all people from my team I think they are totally fed up and me saying and stretching all the time saying okay this is this type of play we are in uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm always like okay the play we are in now is a tech marketing operations play uh, we need to be excellent in those three we need to do all the other stuff yeah? but those three we need to be excellent product management nice yeah? but not so important here yeah. Yeah? Um, you know what I mean and this is Or, or the other way around. It can be it's, okay, this is just a pure product and, um, and I don't know, marketing play. Oh, yes. this, this would be... We need to be amazing in tech 
for the product and then or not okay. tech is maybe commodity yeah. right because because basically you can get that by pulling stuff from npm and just having it in there yeah. so um so and this is i think i think really essential to understand okay what do you need to be excellent in yeah. and what are the things that you just need to do But how did how did you choose the skills for the team if it was not clear what you need exactly because you were not clear how certain research turned out how certain certain uh, tests turned really out after the, the initial research so we had okay, so the first initial four to six weeks were really just uh, just research and and there's there's one one method uh, I don't know if it by now has has really a good name that that I really found to be I, I was looking really for for lots of research message uh, methods to really bring your learning more and more to the front this was what, what was what I tried when I uh, started as a product manager yeah? because okay. I started as a product manager now like um, like eight and a half years ago something like that so and and I started building online products when I was 12. Yeah? So yeah. I know those days where basically you are throwing out things and just um, looking at your stats in an Apache log file. Yeah? Yeah. This was basically the way to go. So um, and, and then um, when I started then after studying again as a, as a product manager in an online business, of course, I was also one of those guys who just threw out features um, without tracking and then sitting there and thinking, hmm, was it now a good idea or wasn't <laughs> it, right? And then you start realizing, all right, maybe, maybe next time we should track that. Uh, that sounds like a, like a not too bad idea. And then, then basically, basically I started um, <laughs> from those one very extreme, how can we bring that, those learnings more and more to the front, Yeah. yeah. So because because one day then you realize okay how 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 can we make it possible to understand whether a feature would work before we launch it? Yeah. Yeah. My, my answer would be no, you can't. Yeah. yeah. Um, not fully. Yeah. Of course. Um, but but you can get an idea in which area to play. Yeah. That that's what I would say. You you okay. can get an idea about the the problem space you are solving for. Yeah? Not about the solution. Yeah? The solution is still something you, you can't really predict that too much through interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but the problem yeah. space, yes. Yeah? Yeah. And, and this, is, this is how I evolved there. And the only method that I found to be then, then being kind of universal when you do your initial problem research is something that I got to know as um, directed storytelling. Uh, yeah. This is how I learned the, the phrase that I learned. I don't know how commonly used that is right now. I've also seen it as posted um, story map or whatever. Um, so, um, but basically you are um, having interviews with people with that method where um, You let them go through their customer journey of the field or area that you want to improve on, right? And then you draw things down and write things down, what they tell you. You go through it once again, ask them if you, um, uh, then you read it out to them, ask them if you forgot something, and then you go the third time through it and ask them really, um, how they felt in certain moments or where you found something that is interesting. And this is, this is something 
um, you need all those three um, iterations really to get the interesting stuff out of people yeah because the first go through is really just to bring people back into the situation mm-hmm. the second one they start to remember stuff that was important to them yeah, yeah because um Because sometimes, especially the important stuff for, for you as someone developing products is forgotten by the people in the first iteration. And the third one is then really where it's, you're getting the meat. Yeah? Because, because then people are really deep, deep, deep into the situation again. And then, then it's starting to get interesting, really. Yeah? So because then you're asking for emotions and um, how did you feel? What could have been better at? this point or not and what were the problems that you were facing so it's really uh, really much more emotional um, than uh, and the results that you can get out of that in, in my opinion are fantastic really so you do the three things right after each other or you're yeah directly after each other okay. yeah so you have one interview and, and also the surroundings are, are in my opinion super important okay. uh, so I, I always do that in, uh, in one cafe especially not in a research room uh, yeah. because I think it's for, for that type of interviews it's too sterile it doesn't work people don't open up uh, I've never seen that someone opens up in a, in a research lab never yeah. never yeah. ever I don't believe in that and then then you need to sit with them in a cafe it needs to feel like sitting there with a friend yeah. and, and talking about your experience yeah? and um, And um, in this cafe, it's um, I'm, I'm really taking care of that. It's uh, this cafe. It's it's loud enough that people feel private. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not too loud that it's hard to listen to each yeah. other. And um, you know what I mean. Yeah, so the surroundings really need to be right for for qualitative research, and you need to have the right people, of course. So the recruiting needs to be really good. Yeah, so otherwise, yeah. otherwise it's it's shit in shit out yeah you need to kind of have an idea what a target group is like and exactly. find someone from yeah. this target group and then, otherwise it doesn't make sense and yeah. then you just talk about like the normal problem like for example I want to sell my car how did you They try to, to sell their car and how they failed, or do you go right away in a potential solution and say, hey, what happened if we do it like that? No, so, usually I would, um, so, so let's go into the car selling example, right? So, so what I would try to do is I would try to find people that recently sold their car and are then an interesting customer group for the type of model, yeah. right? And then I would really simply... Um, start this conversation most likely with the question okay why did you take the decision to sell the car yeah and this is the only question that i really prepare is the starting question okay yeah because all the rest you need to be really much more listening and interacting yeah and really trying to understand the user's journey yeah. than following a strict plan If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, of course, you have then some additional questions that you can do afterwards that you just want to clarify on. Sometimes you have that. Yeah? Yeah. But especially in the very beginning, what I found that, um, that this is not super helpful because um, you then kind of you're preventing to learn the most interesting things. Yeah. And, and then when you found something, yeah, I, I, I also what we did all the time is like we have iterations of those interviews. Yeah. yeah. So basically we found out, for example, 
that especially um, especially older people um, um, that already found a new car um, are the most interesting um, group to target for for this business model. Yeah, yeah. it's not true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. but as an example. Yeah. yeah? And then what we would do is we have another iteration with those people because we thought okay there might be th something with those mm -hmm. guys but we need to understand that better. Yeah. yeah? So it's also like you start very broad and then you narrow things down um, and and the narrower you go the better you can define okay who is an interesting audience yeah for your product and um, and uh, what is the problem really to solve for them yeah yeah if that makes sense yeah. you need to narrow down so so you go and like if i tell you i sold my car because i need the money Then you probably ask, okay, how did you go about that? Like, how did you tackle that? And then you really go for a customer journey. So if you if you don't have a clear understanding about the customer journey and the different pains and gains within the customer journey, your interview went wrong. Yeah, this happens. But um, yeah. So so you mean like that? I needed the money. That's the reason why I sold my car. It's not a good reason, or it's not a no, clear no, reason, it, or it's it's whatever people tell you. Okay. Right, but you need to understand. Okay, how did they approach that then, and what were the different pain yeah. points in approaching that? Yeah, and yeah. You you might be surprised what steps are in the customer journey. Yeah. Right? And this is this is where always the magic lies. If you if you are able to really uh, eliminate complete steps in a customer journey the, the, this is magical yeah? if you can just make them quicker this is already good yeah. Yeah? because it's it's much harder most of the time to develop new customer journeys yeah. Yeah? there are really really rare cases of businesses that succeed like that so most of the time it's taking what's there and making the customer yeah. journey more yeah. uh, more efficient so in the first step you just ask questions you record you record the customer journey then you ask it back up if it's correctly and then you go deeper in how, how did you feel in each step yes exactly especially then um, in those steps where you think that it's that there's something interesting there yeah. right so this is this is then of course I mean, as the danger with all qualitative things, right? Yeah. The danger is always that nobody is free of biases. Yeah, yeah? Exactly. The more you're trying to be aware of those biases, the better it might get. And the more practice you have, the better it might get. But um, you always have them. Yeah? And confirmation bias is, um, is really, really hard to overcome yeah? Yeah. Uh, with, with those types of interviews. This is the tricky part. How, how do you overcome that? And, and are you able to overcome it? Yeah, and you need to see if this is representative of this target group and how big this target group is and yes. then if it works in that. Totally. Um, and this is, this is one method that I really like in the beginning. In the very first beginning to understand, okay, where are customer problems that are yeah. worth solving for? Yeah. So, um, what I really liked about your about your presentation where we met was that you said there um, the 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 market it's everything you can execute really well on a on a shitty market and it will not work. You can execute bad on a good market and it will still kind of work and scale. Yeah. So, would you say the, the central elements to ha to know that you find a good market to scale is these two parts, like the business model can like the the awareness of risks and the user journey or the understanding of a user journey so it's not just that 
this is this is one, one side of the of the matter so to say and the other side is especially in my opinion then then the market sizing itself so all the the things that the economic theory yeah. that's been developed that, that's what you said the economic yes. theory so this is in the third point yes are these three points then enough um, or is there something missing so so basically you were saying saying that there, there's for sure something missing. <laughs> um, so the user journey so, to understand the problem so so let me let me put it like that I okay. think I think if you um, um, if you really understood that you have a problem that's worth solving for and that your solution is a fit to it. So if you have problem solution fit. Yeah. Yeah. And your problem is in a market that's attractive. Yeah. And the market segment that you have in the market with this problem yeah, is, is big enough. Mm -hmm. Then basically the rest um, should be in theory... Um, in, from from what I learned so far, yeah, yeah execution, yeah? yeah. But then execution, of course, can can have so many hurdles, and I now learn that um, uh, with with my own thing that I'm doing right now so well that there's like those thousand little pieces that need to fit together yeah. to to really make it work, yeah. right? And um, and this is then. This is then also the question of your definition of, of product market fit, right? Yeah. Is it, is it um, that all those thousand little pieces already fit together? I would say, yes, this is to me the definition of it. Yeah. yeah? Or, or is it just like, okay, um, you have something hypothetical there. Yeah? And this yeah. is a big difference. Yeah? So I would say, okay, you also need to execute on that. Yeah. And then prove that it's actually, actually working. Yeah. So my last two questions. Question number one: um, Which books you can recommend, or which uh, sources for education you can recommend, or you use? Used. So um, lately, I've been reading less than than before because there's just so much stuff to do with my kids yeah. and uh, and the business that I'm uh, building up on the side. That that there's not so much time. So the um, The books that I really enjoyed lately, um, though, was The Trillion Dollar Coach. Okay. Something that I, um, I, I can really recommend um, because it gives just interesting insight of, um, uh, of how the mind of, um, um, of this coach is actually working and yeah. um, how, how the mindset is be behind training some of the most successful business people um, in the world, in the yeah. world. so this, this, this is really really super interesting and then, um, then honestly my, my only really regular source of reading right now about all the tech stuff is um, a newsletter from Benedict Evans from Andreessen Horowitz yeah. um, and his newsletter is in my opinion just summing it up perfectly it's exactly what I need cool. it's a phrase to every topic yeah, yeah. And if I want to read further, I can. Uh, and if not, I don't need to. Um, so it doesn't force me to, to read through too many things. And, um, but this is, this is like half an hour that I take every week to read that. Um, but besides that, I don't have anything regular that I, that I read. So my times of um, hundreds of RSS feeds are over, I think. 
Okay. Yeah. Cool. Why not? And the last question I always ask: um, If you could go back time to your younger self, to your 18-year-old self, yeah. what would you tell him? Um, uh, what would I tell my 18-year-old self? Um, yeah. You got out of school. What would you tell yourself? Uh, I think studying was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> But, but maybe I would tell my, um, myself after studying that, um, that instead of, um, of going after a regular job, um, first you should have that um, experience of building up your own company. Okay. Um, because, because in my opinion, it's even like, um, even if you, if you then fail, and chances are higher to fail huh? yeah. if, if you don't have, have that much experience. Um, the learnings that you generate by building up your own things are invaluable, right? Yeah. So, and, um, and I think uh, one shouldn't be afraid of, of doing that. Yeah. yeah especially, um, especially if you are um, somehow attached to, to online businesses. Um, this is like the, the, the safety net um, that you're going to experience is... is Is good. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Lars, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you a lot. Um, it was fun and thanks for having me in your podcast. Thank you very much, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.